in this episode of the Bear Performance Podcast. And you also have to be deliberate with the words that you say, the, the your, your freaking tongue, man. This vessel that you're living in, your tongue is the rudder that steers it either in a good or bad direction. When I'm freaking racing, I, see, I hear so many people on the trail and you look at them and they look off poopy pants and, and you say, just to be nice, hey, how, how you doing? And they, say, they make some comment like, oh, you know, I could, could be better. They're not being deliberate with what they're allowing to come out of their mouth. And those people never finish. They never reach that last 10 miles that actually matter. The difference between being the being good and being the best in the world are these little things that I'm talking about right here. You can clean those little things up about the way you talk and the way you think and the way your mind works. You become unstoppable. Welcome back to another powerful episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Nick Bear, founder and CEO of Bear Performance Nutrition. Every week, we bring you insightful stories, knowledge, and inspiration to help you reach your full potential in life, fitness, and business. If you enjoy the message we're promoting in this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it if you would leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes that embody the Go One More mindset. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today we have Chad Wright, former Navy SEAL, entrepreneur, ultra marathon athlete, and Chad just drove about 13 miles to get here. I was sitting in my office and I saw you and Chili logging a few miles outside of the HQ. That's a real deal. Yeah. Well, hold on, Nick. We drove 13 hours. You said 13 miles. So for all the listeners, 13 hours. Yeah. So we drove from Northwest Georgia to here and dude, yeah, I would have ran when we got here. We had 30 minutes and everybody's been like, oh my gosh, it's hot outside. And I'm like, no, man, I would have, it could have been 120 degrees. I was running because I was just so tired of sitting, man. I, I believe it. Yeah. Well, I'd looked at the guys in the office and I was like, Yo, this guy's the real deal. Look, man, running running has changed my life. I mean, ultra running has changed my life. I, I feel like so many people look at people like me or you who run these crazy long distances and and they just can't comprehend why would you do that? Well, it's not healthy. I mean, physically, it's really not healthy to run a hundred miles. That's true. But but for your, your, it prepares you so well for life. Like there are so many things that translate from running a hundred mile race, the lessons that you learn about yourself and, and, uh, the, the little mindset, uh, things that you learn how to implement, uh, it all just translates into life and it sets you up for success in business, success in marriage, um, uh, just in, in all the areas of your real life where it actually matters. And I think it's just, it's been a life changer for me. I mean, I, I'm totally bought into running. And sorry, listeners, if you don't run, I'm not lying to you. I, go out and try to run. Just get just start slow and get into it because it, it's a game changer, man. When you say running, do you think running as a whole has changed your life or is it running ultras that has changed your life? You know, I... I I guess all, the more the ultra distance stuff, 
why the reason why I started running, first of all, um, is because in I was a SEAL for I was in the Navy for twelve years. The whole twelve years I was in the SEAL pipeline or on a SEAL team. I joined the Navy to become a SEAL. And uh in while you're doing that job, you're challenged at a pretty high level, like every single day almost. You're doing dangerous stuff. You're doing hard stuff. You're surrounded by other alpha males. Um, you're held to a high standard physically, mentally. Uh, and, and in 2019, I found out I was likely going to be medically retired from the Navy. And this is the reason I started running is because I realized pretty quickly when I got out of the Navy, you don't, you don't, you're not challenged in the same way out here. Like you're not challenged at that level. You're, you don't have a team of alpha dudes surrounding you, holding you accountable, pushing you. Like, and so I was like, man, I've got to have something else in my life that challenges me at a really, really high level. And I saw a 50 mile trail race. I didn't even know anybody. I didn't even know a human could run 50 miles. Right. But when I saw that, I thought that sounds pretty freaking hard. I'm going to give this a shot and see if this is, can be that next thing that challenges me and, and forces me to grow, continue to grow as a human. And I signed up for that 50 mile race. My first ever race sanctioned race was 50 miles trail race in Virginia. It was the iron mountain ultra and a mountain trail race. And dude, it freaking obliterated me. And that's why I started running because I was like, that was really, really hard. And, uh, and I'm better now than I was before I ran this thing. And so that's what running is for me. Not only does it prepare me for what's coming in life, the challenges that are coming my way in life, um, but it continues to force me to grow and become a better human being. And I, I don't know if running shorter distances would do that. I, I, don't, I don't know if it would. I mean, that's why I like ultra running. I found for me running, it provides a lot of solitude. Yeah. I, I would say like when, because we live in a very distracted world mm -hmm. and it's really hard to find opportunities where there's no distractions or limited distractions. So running for me provides this, this solitude where I can really navigate issues I'm having in my life. And yeah. sometimes answers just come to me. Totally. And, uh, for these ultra distances, I like to, to think that a lot of people like the idea of crossing the finish line of a hundred mile race, but no one wants to get to mile 80. And I heard you say in an interview that it's when you sign up for a hundred mile race, it's, you have to have the patience to get mm -hmm. to mile 90. It's mile 91 to a hundred. Mm -hmm. That's why you signed up for it. And those last 10 miles, that's where you're, you're, you're gaining all of this insight, all of this this growth from, but you have to spend 90 miles to get there. Yep. I think for a lot of people, that's hard to grasp and conceptualize. They say, well, that's a waste of time, but no, but if you realize what those last 10 miles did for you mm -hmm. to move forward, that's powerful. Well, this is why, I mean, this is essentially why most people get stuck in, in life, right? You're, I mean, you're, ex you're exactly right. Growth in life only comes through tension. We see that in exercise. We see it in business. We see it in marriage. So most people, they begin, they, they feel the tension that's created during that first 90 miles, right? So they end up quitting somewhere along 
the way in that first 90 miles, and they never get to that last 10 miles. And I'll go ahead and give you guys right off the bat, listening to this, how do you get through that 90 miles so that you can experience that 10 miles of growth? It boils down for me personally to three things, three things to get to that place where you are actually growing, pushing into new territory and learning new things about yourself. It takes a long time to get there. Three things, the three pillars of my life is, the first one is patience. You, I, what makes me good is I am more patient. I can, I can stay locked on and I can, I, I'm just more patient than most people. I can trust that process, right? And endure that process to get to that place where I'm experiencing growth. So you have to be patient with yourself. You have to be patient with the process. You have to be patient with the team that's surrounding you, uh, that's enabling you to go that far. The second one is you have to stay present. You've got to stay present. You have to, uh, you have to, you can't let your mind drift too far ahead when you're enduring a process that's difficult. Uh, we can talk about it later, but I believe that's the number one reason that people quit SEAL training, a marriage, an ultra marathon, whatever, is because they can't stay present. Essentially, they, they allow themselves to uh, be, they overextend themselves mentally. What does this look like in a tangible way? The last race I ran, I ran for 38 hours. And, you know, there were so many times during the course of that 38-hour race where uh, I, would, I would even, my, I would catch my mind thinking even just five minutes ahead of time. Like maybe I was five minutes out from the aid station and I would be thinking about changing my shoes at the aid station. Well, if I'm thinking about, if I'm thinking five minutes ahead of time, I'm not present anymore, right? So you have to be self-aware. You have to recognize when your mind is drifting too far ahead, then you have to reel it back in. The way I reel it back in is with the spoken word. I literally just tell myself, Chad, be patient or be present. Chad, be present. And that brings me back, right back to where I'm at, right? So you have to be patient. You have to stay present and you have to be deliberate. Um, I've lost, I've, I've lost a lot of friends. Like they passed away. They died because, because of really stupid stuff, right? Because they weren't deliberate. I'm so passionate about being deliberate and the way it applies in ultra running, especially trail racing if, if you're not deliberate about every single step that you take while you're out there on the trail, what are you going to do, man? You're going to turn an ankle. You're going to hurt your knee. You're going to pull a muscle because you get lackadaisical. If you're not deliberate about every single piece of food you put in your mouth, what's going to happen? In an ultra, you're going to freaking, your stomach's going to blow up. You, or in real life, if you're not deliberate about what you freaking eat, you're going to get fat. You know, you have to be deliberate in life about your actions, and you also have to be deliberate with the words that you say. The, the, your, your freaking tongue, man. Your tongue is the rudder that steers this vessel that you're living in. Your tongue is the rudder that steers it either in a good or bad direction. I see so many people, when I'm freaking racing, I, see, I hear so many people on the trail, and you look over there, and you look at them and they look off poopy pants and, and you say, just to be nice, hey, how, how you doing? And they, say, they make some comment like, oh, you know, I could, could be better. 
Like, they're not being deliberate with what they're allowing to come out of their mouth. And those people never finish. They never reach that last 10 miles that actually matter. They don't ever get there because they're not patient, they can't stay present, and they choose to be lackadaisical about their, act- their actions and their words and their thoughts. That's what it boils down to for me. It's literally that simple. I do love the when you say your tongue is your rudder. And I think a, a lot of people could take a lot away from that and, and be more deliberate with, with what they're saying. You know, you ask someone how they're doing. Huh, could be better. It's a, it's a Monday. It's another Monday. I, I mean, by, by no means is this a hit on anybody around here, but just it's, it, when you start implementing this, you, you pick up on other people's speech. Like people around here, oh man, it sure is hot today. Who freaking cares, man? Like, I'm not, like, it doesn't matter. I'm, I'm running, like, why even give that any voice? It's just, it's, it is what it is. Um, I hear people say all the time, I hear males say, uh, my wife just had a baby. Like, that tells me immediately about how they interact with, um, with their wife. Like, like, no, clean that up, man. Like, we... Right. We just had a baby. Like I'm talking about you have the difference between being the being good and being the best in the world are these little things that I'm talking about right here. If you can clean those little things up about the way you talk and the way you think and the way your mind works, you become unstoppable. People aren't willing to do this. They're not willing. They're too lazy to do this. You just have to be willing to do it. It's freaking simple. I feel like so many people, like majority of the population, actually really struggles and will, will always struggle. And I think, to be honest, most people will never accomplish those three things. Patience, presence, and being deliberate. And I don't know if it's, it's because they've never been taught or they're, they're, they're not aware of it or if it's, you know, you, you hop on... Um, a call with someone like yeah, say I'm on a business call, I happen on a zoom call with someone and you're greeted by this person for the first time. And they just want to kick around small talk, oh, very, yeah. very shallow. Like, <laughs> and it's just, it's complaining about whatever is going, how's the weather over there? Do you really care about what the weather's like over here? Do you Human really nature. care? Yeah. And, uh, I think about that all the time. It's how, how do we, how do we reach levels of, of depth? And I think the world as a whole has become very shallow yeah. and doesn't know how to reach these levels of depth where there's actually substance. There's things coming out of. But I do, I love that, that term you use, that your tongue is your rudder because you get to ultimately control your environment, how you respond, how people respond to you, how, how people view you. Um, but I think it comes down to laziness. It's like what, what first pops in your head that you can create this small talk out of instead of being intentional what I've noticed with you through social media, your other interviews, is you are super intentional with what you say and how you say it. Thank you, Nick. And I, I really, really respect that. Even though, even when you got here, you know, you drove 13 hours down here and I looked out the window and I saw you running. I was by no means surprised. Mm-hmm. I, from a person like you, I would fully respect that and, and expect that. Not just because you were a, a Navy SEAL or what you've done, but the way you choose words and you're intentional and you're deliberate, 
And I know you live your life from what I know, based off of some really strong foundational values. I'd love for you to share those values because I think it's what a lot of people in the world are missing is they're living their life to live it. And a lot of the times it's based off of what they think other people expect from them or, or what's acceptable. Mm -hmm. But when you really dig deep and try to understand and realize what your personal values are, and you use that as a foundation to be a husband, be a father, be someone in your community, be a business owner, entrepreneur, that's when you make this, this really strong change and you can change people around you, but you have to have foundational values that are important to you. Yeah. What, yeah. Are, what are yours? Oh, you're so, you're so on point, brother. The way, the way that I explain this is I live my life, uh, to a standard. I don't live my life, uh, based off of, uh, trying to achieve some result. Okay. So my ultimate goal every day, uh, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of stress, in the midst of pain, my ultimate goal is to uphold the standard of who I say I want to be. Right. And I, I let the results fall where they may. Um, I was running a hundred mile race just uh, a few years ago and I was running in first place. I wanted to win. That was the result that I wanted to achieve, right? Uh, about 60 miles, my stomach quit working and it hurts. When your stomach blows up in ultra running, it, you, you can't, I don't care how tough you are, you can't buck it. You have to stop and let your stomach settle down. So I laid down on the side of the trail in the fetal position while second place, third place, fourth, I ended up in sixth place before I could get up and even walk again. So the result went out the window, but that didn't matter to me. Because my default is always to live by the standard. So why didn't I, um, well, I, I had 40 miles left to run. I could no longer achieve the result that I had set out to achieve, but I didn't freaking care. So why did I keep running? I could no longer achieve the result. It's because my ultimate goal is to uphold the standard. And part of my standard says, I will never quit, right? That's part of my creed. That's one line in my creed. I will never quit which means I'm going to get up and even though I have 40 miles left to go and I, I'm not going to finish anywhere near the front of the pack, I'm going to keep going, right? Well, as I'm going over that 40 miles, you know, I come to some places in the trail where the, the trail has switchbacks in it. You know, if you run mountains, you know what switchbacks are. Well, you know, you look at those switchbacks and, and, and there's always something in your mind that says, you know, nobody's around. Um, why don't I just just drop off the side of the hill and pick up the trail right there and cut the switch back off, right? Cut, cut a little distance off right here. I can't win anyways. Well, part of my standard is having honor and integrity. Honor is the adherence to what is right. Most people don't even know what honor means. They want to live their life with honor, but they don't even know how to define honor. What is right in that scenario? What's right in that scenario is for me to run the actual trail and not cut the switch back. Well, integrity is having honor when no one is looking. I look around me. There's no other runners around. I could cut the switch back. Nobody would ever know it. But my goal is to have integrity, which means I run the track that I need to run. I'm so passionate. Those are a few of my values, right? Not quitting, having honor, having integrity. Um, simple things like that. These are all composed in a creed that I live my life by. And, uh, you know, these are so important to me, man, uh, because generally, if you can outline a standard for yourself, 
by the way, my ultimate standard is the Holy Bible, the Word of God. That is my ultimate standard in life. The creed kind of boils down a lot of the prince, biblical principles that are true for all people. Um, but a lot of times, if you can live by a standard, you will actually achieve the results that you would want to achieve, right? But I, that's not what I'm striving for. I'm just trying to hit that standard. This is so important to me, man, because I've all these things. I don't. I'm not saying any of this crap from theory, by the way. Everything we're talking about right here, you, we're talking about integrity. There have been times in my life where everything in my life hinged upon me having a lapse in integrity. I can remember one time in third phase of SEAL training, we were doing land navigation. I was at one of my last points. I'd been, out, I'd been in the desert for six days navigating. I had this big, uncomfortable backpack on my back called an Alice pack. You, you ever seen an Alice pack? I know an Alice Vietnam pack, yeah. style. I had a, one of those big green radios in that thing. That son of a gun was heavy, man. Singar radio? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that son of a gun was heavy, uncomfortable. I looked up on top of the hill. I'm, I'm at the very end of my land nav, six days. I see one of my last points up there on the top of the hill. Well, before the course started, the instructor said, never set that radio down. You know how big of a deal it is if you lose a radio in the military. Oh, my gosh. It's a huge, huge deal. You will get kicked out of the military if you lose a radio. I was still in training. You know what I did? I looked up. I saw that point. I looked over here beside me, and there was a tree right here. And I said, I'm just going to set this freaking radio down by this tree. I'm not carrying this stinking backpack up to the top of that hill to, just to get that point. Looked around me. There were no instructors around, nobody else around. I set that radio down by that tree. I walked up there. I got my point. I turned around. There were about 50 trees at the bottom of the hill. And all of them looked just like the tree I set my radio down by. In that moment, everything that I had worked for in my life. By the way, I had to have heart surgery to become a Navy SEAL. I had to, my, my story of becoming a SEAL is much different than most people's. Everything that I had worked for hinged upon me having a lapse in integrity in that moment. If I wouldn't have found that radio, I would not be here talking to Nick Bear today, without a doubt, because of a lapse in integrity. Um, luckily, after about 30 minutes of frantically searching for that rucksack, I found it. And, um, and that's, why, that's part of the reason I'm here today. All this stuff, I, I'm so passionate about these things because they actually freaking matter, man. And if you're losing in life, it's probably because of these things. It's probably because you're not having integrity in the even the little things. You want, you want to get started with this? How about you put your freaking grocery cart back in the buggy corral when you're done loading your, your mess in your truck at the grocery store? Start there, okay? If you can start having integrity in little things, it's going to transfer into the big things in life, and you're going to start winning. Was your view on life and values and what's important like this before joining the military and going through SEALs training or, or was that, did that have a massive impact on the way you live now? You know, yes, it had a massive impact. I, I mean, I am who I am today because of over a decade of, um, of, accomplishments 
But more importantly, failures, poor decisions, um, uh, poor examples of leadership, um, all the bad things, right? And, and, and in the SEAL teams, you know, all the bad mistakes are amplified. The consequences of bad mistakes are amplified. So you learn from them much quicker. Uh, because of the nature of the work that we do. Um, so it has been a process to become who I am today. Now, what, what, really, what really brought me the, the last little bit was, uh, was my, um, my relationship with Christ. I learned all this, one, these wonderful things about life, didn't have any sort of... Um, spiritual relationship, right? I believe all of us as humans, you can dispute this if you want. I don't care. I believe every human being is composed of a physical body, a soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, and a spirit, right? I believe that, truly do. Well, my spirit, the spiritual part of me was, was dead and confused, and I had a great physical, physically strong body, a very strong mind, and then when I paired that spiritual aspect, of myself, and I and I learned how to nourish that part of myself. Oh, no, man, whole another ball game. It's it's unbelievable. How long ago was that? I I um I gave my life to Christ, if you want to say it that way. I'm not a I'm not a religious guy. I'm not a church. Uh, I don't believe you can go to church. I believe the body of Christ is the church on living on earth. Uh, that was in 2012. And yeah. and you joined the the navy in in what year? Two thousand and seven. But your journey to become a seal was it was unconventional, right? Like you didn't grow up saying I'm going to be a navy seal. It just it happened a different way, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, totally, brother. Um, so when I grew up in Northwest Georgia, uh, to to make a long story short, uh, I had never ran, didn't even know how to swim. Nothing like that. No, no, never played a single sport. Uh, and I graduated high school and went to work uh, on a farm, basically. And I wasn't good at school, not because I'm dumb, just because I didn't like school. And uh, I didn't want to go to college. And I realized that uh, if I didn't do something different, that this, this job that I was working you know, on a farm, you know, making a couple hundred dollars a week. That was going to be my lot in life. I, I just came to that realization. And then uh, that's when I started looking into the military. I saw about the SEALs. It's supposed to be the hardest training in the world. And I have this all or nothing thing about myself. I think it was instilled in me by my mother, this all or nothing. So when I saw the hardest, it drew me to it. And um, I joined, joined the Navy I couldn't pass the physical standards test to get in. It took me about, uh, probably about three months to even pass that. I had to learn how to swim, had to learn how to run. I would go every week and take this physical standards test. I'd fail it every single week. It took me about three months. I finally passed it one time, <laughs> got a SEAL contract, uh, went to boot camp. Last day of boot camp, I'm about to graduate. Uh, the My drill instructor pulled me out of the formation. We're literally walking to graduate boot camp to change our recruit hat to our Navy hat. And uh, he says, you got to go to medical. I went to medical and the 
the officer there proceeded to tell me they had found a seven centimeter pericardial cyst on my heart. I was the first Naval Special Warfare candidate to ever be diagnosed with a pericardial cyst. They didn't know anything about it. It's a very rare condition. And uh, he said, it's totally asymptomatic. That's why you've never realized you even had this thing. But we're worried if you dive underwater, the pressure change will burst the cyst. So you can never become a SEAL. And we're not going to take this thing off your heart because it's a very risky surgery. Actually, none of there's not a surgeon in the Navy that's ever removed a pericardial cyst, I guess, at that time. They, they didn't know, you know, there was no like clear, clear, clear procedures on how to handle this. And it was asymptomatic. So he said, we're going to send you to the regular Navy or you can get out of the Navy because it's a breach of contract. So I got out of the Navy, paid for my own heart surgery as a civilian um, with the help of my family and community. Didn't have any money. <laughs> and uh, so, um, and uh, showed back up into the Navy less than a year after heart surgery. How soon after that were you back? Were you at Bud's? Um, I was, uh, once I showed back up into the Navy after the heart surgery, I was on hold for about four months while the Navy reviewed my case. By the way, all this is public information. Google Navy SEAL pericardial cyst. You can read my entire medical journal written by Navy doctors. It won't mention my name, but you'll see my x-rays and everything. I was on hold for about four months while they reviewed all that stuff and went straight to buds after that. So by the time you got the buds, I mean, you got a lot invested in. And I know you've talked about this experience at Buzz before. You've obviously seen people quit, but there was never a day, there was never a moment where you ever even considered quitting because you had so much invested in at that point where there was no option. When you saw people quit, what was the reason? Why did people quit Buzz? Oh, um, well, there's there's a key reason. Uh, I'm going to talk about, I'll talk about that here in just a second, but you're exactly right. I had so much invested what you guys listen to this podcast, what you, what you refuse to realize is the difficulty that you are experiencing right now is on purpose. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, if it's a freaking sickness, a heart surgery, a divorce, a terrible marriage, uh, what, whatever you're going through right now, it's happening on purpose in order to forge you into the person that you were created to be ultimately. All right, but if you quit, you will never get to be the person that you were created to be. All that heart surgery and crap, all that did, that was all for a reason. And it was so that when I got on the start line of SEAL training, I could make it through. If I would have went to SEAL training the first time, I would not have made it through. It's ungodly. It's unbelievably hard. You can't even describe how hard it is. I wouldn't have made it through. Who, my creator, whoever you think your creator is, my creator knew, hey, I'm going to take this man through this little extra few steps here to get him ready to do what I created him to do. Y'all need to get that through your head, man. Quit being poopy pants about whatever challenge you're facing right now. It's a, it's a blessing. The number one reason people quit buds is because they get overwhelmed by the big picture. Any, any dude that would, if you ask any dude that quit buds, why did you quit? If they chose to be honest with you, very few of them would. But if they chose to be honest with you, 
they could tell you about a moment where they were doing something that was challenging and they thought, I can't do this for six more months. There's no way I can do this for six more months. They could tell you of a specific moment. I remember in Evolution in Hell Week, we were running one-mile repeats on the beach. It was one mile down the beach, one mile back to back. And um, it was at your own pace. The instructors made us do this just because they had to keep us moving or we would fall asleep. And uh, the only caveat was they didn't tell us when this one-mile repeats were going to end. And I saw more guys quit on that evolution than probably any other evolution in buds. And it's because so many of them had that realization do, doing that one mile repeat. I can't do, I might have to do this for another 50 hours. The unknown. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this for another 50 hours. And whereas me, I'm, I'm out, I'm just out here. Like, Hey man, I get to run one mile at my own pace on a sunny beach in California. I'm going to run this one mile and then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to just focus on the next mile. And, um, and also, man, I didn't read all the books. I didn't watch all the movies. When I went to Bud's, it was hard for me to think too far ahead because I didn't know what was coming. Um, that was a big blessing. But that's the number one reason that people quit. They get overwhelmed by the big picture. They're no longer present. They're thinking too far ahead. I think that's the... Yeah, I've heard you talk about it before, but the, the rudder of your tongue, when you start to tell yourself that this is hard, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm in pain... I don't know if I can do this. As soon as you, as soon as you tell yourself that you make it real, you tell someone next to you, you accept that it's over. You know, there's, there's yeah. no coming back from that. Yeah. And I saw that play out so many times, you know, my best buddy and my best friend in buds, his name, I, I call him Tubbs. Tubbs was probably, was actually physically stronger than I was. He was a wrestler and just a solid, solid dude. And he had been having these, this negative self-talk. He'd been dealing with it for quite a while. Look, man, every human has has negative thoughts pop into their head about themselves. Um, he had been struggling with that for quite some time, uh, and uh, it it didn't it it didn't defeat him until one morning. I'll never forget it. First phase, we were getting ready for a two mile ocean swim. We're out behind the barracks. We're pulling our wetsuits on. It's four a.m. We know we're about to have to go jump in the cold freaking Pacific Ocean. That water never gets warmed and swim for two nautical miles, by the way. Nothing in Bud's is miles. It's all nautical miles. And we're pulling our wetsuits on and Tubbs comes over to me and he says, Chad, I don't think I'm good enough to make it through this training anymore. It was a lie. His mind, your mind is probably telling you lies about who you are. You Can anybody listening to this relate to that? How often does your mind tell you lies about who you actually are and what you're capable of? A lot of you guys probably, you know how I know that? Because my mind does that to me all the freaking time. But you know what? I count, instead of speaking those lies out loud like Tubbs did that day when he came to me and just spoke that lie out loud, right? Well, guess what? He went and rang the bell before he ever got in the water that morning. Um, look, man, when your freaking mind starts telling you lies about what you're capable of, counterpunch it 
with the truth. Speak the truth out loud. If you're thinking you're not good enough to do something, just simply tell yourself out loud. I don't even care who's around. Let people think you're crazy. Who cares? Would you rather people think you're crazy and you win? Or you people think you're a pretty good dude and you'd be a loser? Like I would rather win. I'm going to tell myself, no, screw you, man. Whatever is putting these lies in my mind. No, I, I am capable. I am literally unstoppable. I remind myself all the time that I can't die. I literally believe I can't die. I tell, I'm telling myself that right now on this podcast. I can't die. I truly believe that. And I say it out loud. A lot of y'all listening to this think I'm freaking crazy. I'm telling you, man, that's why you can't beat me. I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this thinking, I'm not as mentally strong as someone like Chad Wright. Like Chad, when Chad's running these 100 plus mile races, he never has any negative self-talk. Like, there's nothing telling him he has, he, his legs hurt and his lungs hurt and he wants to stop. Is it that or is it you experience these, this negative self-talk like everyone else does, but you approach it, address it, welcome it differently? That's exactly what it is. Man, I am flesh and blood. I, I feel the exact same pain you feel. My knees ache. My feet hurt. My back hurts. I, uh, I, now, hey, I'm telling you all this not to go against what I'm, we've been talking about the whole time. I'm not trying to be negative here. I'm just being real with you. I have all those aches, pains, negative self-talk, um, imposter syndrome. You, you, get, you get all this stuff, man. I mean, I have all this stuff, but it's exactly right. It's how, how, what do I do with it? What do I do with it? I told you, man, that's the difference. We all feel the same things. We all feel pain. We all, um, whether physical pain, emotional pain, whatever it is, man. I mean, I see a, I see a, a counselor, like I do all that. I, I mean, like I have emotional problems. I'm, you know, just like every other human out here. Um, but yeah, it's what you do with it, dude. When you walked in here and, uh, one of the guys that works here at BPN asked you, how far did you run out there? And you said, I would like seven, seven loops. And they're like, well, what was it, like 3.5 miles? You're like, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't track it. And it made me think of when you just mentioned being in SEALs training, you didn't read the books. You didn't know what to expect. I think of the, the term ignorance is bliss. Yeah. And it makes me think of when, when I started my company 10 years ago, I didn't know what was required to start a company. I thought anyone can do it. I, I, I went into it blind, mm -hmm. but I had all the confidence in the world. Well, everyone else was telling me you can't do this. Like you should read this book. You should read that book, read this article, talk to this person. I kind of just ignored it. I just did my thing. Do you approach races that same way? Because I'll watch some people prep for a race. And they study that course. They study that map. They, they are so strategic from pacing to heart rate to everything in between. And what happens by the end of it is they are paralyzed by the analysis. Mm -hmm. That is a real thing. Are you, are you the type that goes into it kind of ignorant of, I'll give you a clear example. Last weekend I had a marathon. And the night before the race started, people were freaking out. 
it's supposed to be five degrees warmer than it was supposed to be. The, the wind, the Typical wind, marathon the wind is five miles per hour uh, headwind on, in this back half. And to me, I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Yeah. Like I'm going to show up race day the same way, regardless. I can't change any of the training I did the last 16 weeks. I will, I will control what I can control, but you cannot control the uncontrollables. You approach a lot of things that same way where ignorance is bliss and you're just going to approach it with everything you got and take the obstacles head on. Mm -hmm. That that's how I operate. And, 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 you know, by the way, um, that, that method, uh, doesn't necessarily work for everybody. I do want to give that caveat to it. That's how I operate. Um, yeah. And it's worked very well for me because it helps me stay super present. Right. Um, and I don't get overwhelmed or anxious about what might be coming because I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's coming. I just, I know I'm very resilient and whatever does come, I can make the best of it and just put out as hard as I possibly can. Um, but some people need to have a plan. I, I think, I think there's a, there's, a, I think ultimately the best human would be able to mesh the two together of having a good solid plan, but also having confidence in, in being resilient um, and being able, knowing that they can just handle whatever does come if it doesn't go according to plan. It sounds like a, a SEALs team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's right. And so maybe that's more of how, how I race. So like uh, when I do a race, like, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I'll, I'll have a plan for, I, I know what I need to eat. So, I mean, I'll have a plan for, what I want to have my crew, you know, have for me to eat or, um, you know, water bottles or stuff like that. So I have a loose plan and I have a general understanding usually of the course, maybe where a few of the big climbs might be or something like that so that I can run somewhat strategically. Um, but I definitely go heavier on the resiliency. There are times that I could probably be a little better if I'd plan a little more. But uh yeah, the balance of the two I think would be the perfect mix. And yeah, you're right. That's that's the how I that's how a SEAL platoon operates. And you know the great thing about a SEAL platoon is it's a team. So you have multiple different personalities. You have some of those personalities that lean real, real heavy toward the planning. And then you have some of the personalities that lean real heavy toward that resiliency. And so you combine the two and it makes that perfect picture. We do the same thing in business. My brother's a big planner, my business partner. I'm really super resilient. And so the two of us mesh those two things together and it works out awesome. I remember when I was in the army, I was, I was in uh, conventional army, right? I was stationed at Fort Hood as the infantry platoon leader. And I remember, you know, some of, some of my guys or some of my mentors, they would say, you know, the, what makes the Rangers or green braids or seals different is that they do the simple things, right? They can do skill level one tasks in their sleep and blindfolded. And I heard you talking about this on a podcast. And I thought this was, was super interesting because you said a lot of people don't do the simple things, right? The foundational necessities. However, they want to do the big, sexy, big things. Oh yeah. Right. Like they, they want to build the big business. They want to, climb the biggest mountain. They want to do the biggest, toughest race, but they, they don't want to log the easy miles leading up to, they don't want to do the nutrition. They don't want to have the mindset. Yeah. And 
I think social media has really ex- exposed this where it goes back to theory. Everyone wants to read the book on how to do it. They yep. read the book on how to climb the mountain. They read the book on how to build the team and the business. But they don't want to do the, the small little things leading up to that make them an expert to get there. Mm-hmm. Everyone likes the concept of being a leader, but they don't want to lead or they don't want to be led. Mm-hmm. And I heard you talk about this and I thought this was very interesting because people want to go, they want to go from zero to hundred and they want to skip one to 99. Yep. One yep. to 99 is that's the bread and butter. Totally that's the brother. standard. Totally brother. Yeah, you're right. And, um, you, you can, you open up a whole, uh, box of conversation around this topic. Um, you know, first of all, you talk about being able to perform a skill. Uh, and, and I think we've lost, we, we've really lost sight of what it actually means to perform a skill. Um, your fitness is not a skill. Fitness is one of those foundational elements that you're talking about that you have to have. It's an enabler. Fitness is an enabler. Leadership is an enabler. Knowing how to form a team is an enabler. And all those, all those foundational things actually make you more proficient at actually performing a skill, whether that is uh, shooting or um, playing an actual sport like basketball or, or football or whatever. Or, um, you know, that, that's what skills are to me. You're, you're, you guys' skill here is producing really awesome uh, supplements, products for people to use, right? That's a skill to be able to pr- produce and formulate a product like that. That's your skill. Your fitness enables you to do that. Your ability to lead enables you to, it, all those are enablers. So we, uh, you're right. Everybody wants to just go straight into function. I, I get people that want to start off on the range. I train people on the range. My company is a training company, essentially. They want to start with this big, cool, uh, complex uh, running and gunning out on the range, right? Well, I don't let them start there. Like, they have to go through a course first that teaches, that assesses their physical ability, that teaches them how to lead, that teaches them how to be led, that teaches them how to form a team and culture, that teaches them how to communicate. People don't know how to do this stuff, Nick. It's insane. I have, I have high, I train high, high level entrepreneurs. I, I take them out in the wilderness and I force them into a scenario where they have to communicate, lead, be led, form a team and, a, and move toward an objective as a single organism. They don't know how to do it. I, I've come to the conclusion to be a successful entrepreneur right now in today's economy, all you have to do is be willing to work and take a little risk. And you can, you can pretty much be successful, but you're not going to be the best. You can be successful, you're not going to be the best. If you take somebody who has a willingness to work and make an investment that might require a little bit of risk, and you then teach them all these foundational enablers, that's when they become the best. And that's one of my big pas- biggest passion in life is um, taking a group of people that are willing to work and willing to make an investment and taking that group of people. And within three days, I can turn them into a single organism and communication flows and they know who the leader is and they trust one another. And it's a freaking amazing. That's, that's what I do. 
That's what I'm rewarded by in life. Do you ever have people that show up expecting to do the run and gun and then you tell them what they actually have to do to get there and it deters them from going through the entire process? Oh, they, it pisses them off. Yeah, it pisses them off. But but then once I show them, really quickly I show them that they are not even capable of doing the very foundational things, then they're not pissed off anymore. They're like, wow, I'm not as good as I thought I was. <laughs> like, okay, I'm actually not ready to do that. <laughs> Let, I'm having fun back here learning how to do these foundational things that I never realized I didn't even know how to do. And, and so, you know, I, it does, it pisses them off. But then once, I, once they recognize their inability to do these foundational things that are natural to us, especially guys that served in the military. The military, I love that word. <laughs> but once you show them, hey, you're inadequate in these places, then they're really invested about learning those fi- uh, foundational things. And then we can go on to some more advanced training. I read this book. Uh, I'm a big fan of, of the author, Seth Godin. Yeah. There's a lot of business books and he has this book called Purple Cow. It's a marketing book, but in this book, he uses this word and it's remarkable. And he puts the word remarkable up on this, this pedestal where in order to achieve remarkable, it's like, it's this big deal that you don't see a lot of remarkable people, places, businesses, or things. And it's such a big deal that he says the opposite of great is remarkable. And what made me think of that is you mentioned to be a successful business owner in, in, in today's day and age, with social media and some of these things, you really just have to like do the bare minimum almost to, to build a, a good business, a, even a great business. To, to build a remarkable business though, you need to lay that foundation. And I think that goes back to those three pillars of you have to have patience, which most people don't. You have to be present, which especially with the phone, no, it's, you don't see much presence. And, uh, and, and be deliberate Mm -hmm. and you don't see that often. So a lot of people can actually be good or even great, but it's not, it's not that impressive. I want to see remarkable. And when you see remarkable, you know it, you're not, you will never mistake remarkable for great. There's that big of the gap. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's visible. It is. You're exactly right, man. You can feel, you can feel remarkable when you're around it. Mm -hmm. You're exactly right. So let's take it back to... I'd love to really navigate the, the evolution of what kind of person you were when you, when you joined the SEALs and you were on a team and then you found your faith, mm-hmm. you found God and how that really transformed your life to where you are today. Mm-hmm. So I, I've heard the story, you don't have to tell it again, but you're on deployment and someone on the team pulled the Bible out and was reading the Bible and it completely changed the environment of the place you guys were in Mm -hmm. and this crazy stuff started going on and that turned you into a believer. Yeah. Was it, was it that powerful of a moment when these weird things started happening on this deployment that you instantly said, I need to believe, or was it months that you, you, was it a trigger or was it this, this switch? I think for me personally, it was, um, it it was a switch. Uh, so it was that scenario that, um, you know, what changed that scenario when all that crazy stuff was happening was when uh, I had my little brother, uh, his, his, um, 
pastor called me overseas and said, hey, just put me on speakerphone and let me walk around this place and, and pray. And this guy is praying in the name of Jesus Christ, okay? And he, he uh, walks around and he's doing, saying his prayer. And I just thought, well, I'm, I don't know any other way. I, I'm, I'm at a loss of how to kind of uh, fix this issue that we're having here. And, and when he did that, like total peace returned to that place. So in that moment, like I, re, I, re, I understand warfare and that was warfare in that moment. I understood what happened. He evoked the name of something that was more powerful than whatever it was that was plaguing this place and our team and me personally. And so yeah, that was a trigger because I was like, okay, there's some power here in, uh, in prayer and in this Jesus Christ. And, and so then that's when I said, okay, I need to understand a little more about who Jesus Christ is. And when I uh, started reading the Bible and, you know, the Bible's written at about a sixth grade level. Um, I started in the gospel of Matthew and starting to understand who Jesus said he was and what he talked about and what he did, and then ultimately why I need him. Uh, all that was revealed to me through Scripture. And so then I, I simply asked Jesus to, I said, okay, Jesus, I, I, be, I believe you. and will I submit myself to you? Will, will you help me? And it changed me like that, that night that I did that totally changed who I was, man. I didn't all of a sudden, all of a sudden I was a, I was a wicked person. It wouldn't have looked that it wouldn't have looked like it from the outside. Wicked in what ways? I, I, I took more pleasure in doing things that I knew were wrong than I took in, than I found pleasure in doing what I knew was right. So, you know, I, I watched pornography. I cursed like a sailor. I was mean. Uh, I was angry. You know, I was this just dude that just wanted to get some all the time, dude. I did all this just things that you, I mean, come on, man. You know, you, when you're sitting there watching porn, man, you know that ain't right. Come, you know that ain't right. I knew it wasn't right even before I gave my life to Christ, but I found more pleasure in doing things that were wrong than doing. And so when I, when I did submit myself to my creator, um, all of a sudden I had the, this, um, uh, supernatural change happened to where I actually wanted and found more pleasure in doing what was good and what I knew was right and whole and pure and what was going to make the people around me better and make me better. And, and it wasn't a self-righteous thing. It's like that ability was bestowed upon me. And so I remember walking into my team room the next day after I, after I, um, got saved, if you want to say that. And um, I, when you give your life to Christ, it is truly like you, it, for me personally, it was truly like I was born again as a new human being. Truly. 
I couldn't put it any better way. Like if it felt, you felt it, it felt that way. And I was legitimately a different human being. And I remember walking into the team room and like, um, guys like noticed right off the bat, like, dude, why aren't you, why aren't you cursing and talking about the porn you watched last night or whatever, you know? I mean, that's what, you know, it's just is what it is. And I was like, man, I just, I don't have any desire for that anymore. And, and, um, and yeah, it, it changed, it changed me, man. And, and, and now that was just the very beginning, you know, I mean, my walk with Christ since 2012 and, and, and studying and understanding scripture and growing in my relationship with the Lord, uh, it has, um, it's been a constant, uh, process of, you know, you build up in your mind, uh, a certain way you th- think things are, or a certain way you, th- you think, um, a certain understanding and, and usually when, <laughs> interesting when you're really walking uh and following christ as soon as you think you got it he will tear down your preconceived notions of you thinking you got it and it's what it's been it's constantly wrecking me and things that i thought i had a grasp on and and him just reworking my heart and my understanding and making making me a better Slave. I'm a slave to Christ, making me a better slave to him, a servant, an ambassador of him. But it should be challenging. Oh, it's the most challenging thing that you will ever go through in life. It's the most challenging thing. I mean, most recently, I'll give you a, a, a tangible example of this. My wife's a recovering addict. And um, very, very recently, we had another, uh, uh, another bout with addiction. and. Um, you know, I, I had this, uh, I, I had this thought initially of like, how many more times are you going to drag me through the mud? And the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ just wrecked my heart. And he said, essentially, you dummy, this, this ain't about you. I told you to die to yourself. I'm going to give you an opportunity here to die to yourself. Let's, let's see if you can really understand what it means to die to yourself. All right? He, and, I, and, then I, and then he flipped the, my understanding of this whole scenario, and I went from how many times he's going to drag me through the mud to, hey, let's go through the mud together. And that's, that's a hard transition. And I couldn't have done that without the Spirit of Christ in me. It'd be humanly impossible. Human nature is too corrupt. I couldn't have done that without him. But I was seeking him. One of the things you said on Instagram recently that I thought was really powerful, all the things you say on Instagram, like they're super intentional. Like, I, I've realized you don't post just a post. Like there, there is something that has to be said when you post something. And it's one of those things that the Chatterite posts go up. You stop what you're doing. You, you read it. And you oh, listen to you, it. Thank you, Nick. I appreciate that, man. And one of the things you said is, what do you think was going to happen when we chose to dissolve the moral framework of our society? And that sentence right there was just, that, that question was so spot on. 
And a lot of it was in regards to what's going on in the world recently in regards to shooting, especially down here in Uvalde, Texas. And what a, what a tragedy, horrible Buffalo, New York. And it seems the past couple of days there, there, there's more shootings popping up left and right. And it's absolutely horrible, but we've removed a lot of this value driven foundation from schools and society and the community. And the question you ask is super valid. Like, what did we expect to happen when we removed this? What is the answer to, to re-inject it back in? How do we re re-inject it back in? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's not that, that wasn't my thought, by the way, um, the founding fathers of this nation that we are also fortunate to be living in the United States of America. Uh, the founding fathers said that our constitution is wholly inadequate for a people who are not religious or moral. So the constitution of the United States is inadequate to govern or, or maintain some form of, of, um, of unity for a population of people who are immoral or irreligious. You cannot put freedom into the hands of people who are immoral. It doesn't work. Look at third world countries. Look at Afghanistan. For instance, it's a perfect example. Uh, plenty of places in Africa, perfect example. You have populations of people that are essentially savage. They, they've, uh, they've thrown off all semblance of morality. By the way, it, I'm talking about biblical morality. Why do I use biblical morality as the standard of human morality? Because it works. You cannot dispute that biblical morality works. The foundation of it is love your neighbor as yourself, right? Do unto others as you would have do unto you. That's the very most basic form of biblical morality. It works, all right? So I'm using that as the standard. If you have people who throw off those standards and they don't hold themselves to those standards, well, then how, else, how are they controlled? They have to be controlled by a tyrant. You have to take their freedom away from them. You have to. That's why the founding fathers said the Constitution is inadequate for people who are immoral. That's what we see happening now. People who have people have thrown off any sense of morality, and now we're living in a culture that says, do what makes you feel good. Right? And so it's collapsing because you can't put freedom in the hands of people that are living that way. How do we inject it back into um, uh, back into our culture? It starts with the family. The, the family is the smallest form of government, right? And so it has to be done by fathers and mothers that are raising their children. You, father or mother, if you, if you choose not to serve Christ or, or believe in God, what is wrong with teaching your children biblical morality? It works! You don't even have to believe in God and it works. The Bible is a literal blueprint for a beautiful human life and existence, individually and as a society. It's a blueprint. So mothers and fathers, I'm not asking you to believe in God and although I would recommend you look into Jesus Christ, there's tons of evidence logically that he is who he said he is. 
let me ask you this. You had, thir- you had 12 redneck fishermen that followed this man named Jesus around. The power that the powers that be, the the um, the Roman government took Jesus away, crucified him. You got these now eleven redneck fishermen. They crucified the guy that they were following. Well, after they crucified him, all of a sudden these eleven redneck fishermen start running around and saying he rose from the dead. They changed the entire world. Do you realize the world was changed by 11 redneck fishermen 2,020 years ago that were so convinced that the guy they were following had risen from the dead? They literally didn't change their story unto death. All of them but one were, were killed ruthlessly because they said that Jesus rose from the dead. None of them changed their story. How do you freaking explain that? You're telling me that if they, they were the only ones that really knew, they saw him come back to life. They saw him crucified and then they saw him come back to life. You, do you think if they would have never saw him come back to life, don't you think at least one or two of them would have changed their story when they're about to nail, they say they nailed Peter to a cross upside down. Do you think old Peter wouldn't have said, all right, guys, I was just kidding. I didn't see this guy really come back to life, man. Y'all, y'all don't got to nail me to the cross today. I mean, come on. These guys changed the freaking world, man. You, that's just one thing. You want to understand the story of creation? How in the crap do you believe in the theory of evolution? It's the stupidest theory I've ever heard in my life. You read the story of creation in Genesis. It accounts for time, space, and matter in the first freaking sentence. It's, it's a logical explanation of how the universe was created. How can you not believe this? I, I know it's confusing. Uh, faith is a weird thing. I'm just saying there's a ton of evidence. But I'm not asking you to do all that if you don't want to. But at least instill these values in your children, man. Get them off these freaking stupid video games. Get them off. Get them out in front of the TV. Get out. Get them out in the dang woods, man. Teach them morality. Um, give them a standard to uphold. Hold them accountable. It all starts in the family. It's got to. It's the smallest form of government. Our daughter is due in about four weeks. And, you know, I've, I've told this story many times before, but on this podcast, my morning runs used to be these moments of solitude for me where I thought of business ideas and creative concepts and marketing campaigns. And once we got pregnant with our, with our daughter, who's due very soon, um, those morning runs, that solitude quickly turned into me thinking about how I wanted to raise my daughter mm. and the morals and, and values to instill and teach her that I hope that as I raise her right she takes away. And then when she turns 18, she has this strong foundation that she can, she can live off of and share and, and help people. And I feel that very heavy, this obligation and responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things I've really seen from watching a lot of your, your content is you're not afraid 
to showcase and highlight vulnerabilities. And it goes back to one of your, your quotes you say is be hard when it gets hard. You don't have to be hard all the time. I think sometimes people just look at you, for example, they probably think this is a hard dude 24 seven. But the truth is being hard is the resource, the skill, it's a tool, right? And only implement it when it gets hard. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that concept and dive deeper into like why, why not be hard all the time and why use it as this? You have a capacity to be hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Use that capacity when it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, man. Yeah. And, uh, I think people do have a very skewed perspective of me. Um, dude, I'm a, I am a broken human, just like every, every one of you guys, man. I am just totally, I've been wrecked by uh, traumas and, and all this, you know, marriage problems and, and, uh, personal problems and, and sin and wicked. I've been wrecked by all that stuff throughout my whole life. Like I'm broken just like you are. Um, but because I have made a choice amidst all that brokenness, I have made it a choice throughout my entire adult life to engage uh, in doing or at least attempting to do difficult things on my own time, whether that's steel training, whether now it's ultra running. Um, I've chosen to engage these difficult things uh, on my own time. It, it has allowed me to forge a place inside of me where I can go where when when life does get really hard, like I have that, I have the tools. I, I forged a place inside of me. I forged the tools. I forged the muscle memory. I can tap into those things and, um, and I can get through it. Like I, I, I can, dude, I can get, I can get freaking mean, but you're right. You can't be that way all the time, man. Like I gotta be able to, um, I got to be able to go to the house and, and love my wife. And, um, I have to be able to empathize with my friends and family members that are getting wrecked by life and, and Trump past trauma and things like that. And, um, if you just try, you know, if you just try to walk around, like you're this tough guy all the time, like, uh, first of all, that's exhausting. And second of all, you're not really ever going to be able to help the people around you who are genuinely struggling. Um, you know, one of the most beautiful things, conclusions I've ever come to in my life is that all of us humans from any, from every walk of life, every religion, every color, all of us humans are the same. We are all broken. And if you, if y'all see anybody that claims that they're not, that they're, that they have, that they're just invincible. Uh, they're, they are living a lie. Every one of us are broken. And that was one of my biggest, like, epiphanies that changed the construct of how I view each other. So, man, I got to be able to let the, let the, take a wrap off, man, and spend time with people and empathize with them and hear them out and, and, um, whatever needs to be done, you know, and same in my marriage and, friendships and all aspects of my life. So what do you say to people then when they 
they kind of hang their hat on being broken. They've gone through this trauma. They've failed at certain things in their life and they identify with that. And it's, they don't think they can come back from being unbroken. Like they think that is, that is them forever. Dude, <laughs> that's a, um, that's a really, really, I'll I tell you, i tell you, I wouldn't say, I, there's nothing that I could say to that person. I don't think, me personally, there's nothing that I could say to that person to really change their perspective on that lie that they're telling themselves about themselves. I would say, give me the opportunity to show you. Give me the opportunity to show you that that's a lie. That's why I train people. That's why I, I, that's why I run the, the events that I run. It's to give people that might be in that position. It's to give them, it's to give me the opportunity to show them that holy crap. I've been stuck in this place where I thought I wasn't capable and I was a nervous wreck when I showed up to do this mission with Chad. I was a nervous wreck. I didn't think there was any way I was going to be able to do this. And they do it. And I'm like, I told you so. And that changes their trajectory. There, there's no, there is no um, substitute for the reps. Like there's no substitute for actually doing it. So I can tell you something. I can tell you to be patient, present, deliberate. You're, you're going to think that sounds cool. You're not going to understand it until you let me. Let me or somebody else or, 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 or a 100-mile race or, or some difficulty in life, that's your grand opportunity to really see how these things work and how they can take you further or pull you out of a hole. So it, I, I have to show you that you're capable of more than you think you are. Sometimes you need to choose opportunities for adversity to face adversity itself. Man, yeah, dude. And, and this is something that, people really also have a hard time doing, and that's investing in themselves. You know, people are scared right now, Nick. With everything that's happening, there's so many people that are scared, you know? Uh, what's the what's going to be the next thing, you know, after freaking coronavirus stuff, and now you just chaos, and people ask me all the time, like, what do I do to prepare? Like, I'm scared. Well, the answer's simple. Invest in training. Train. Like capability is the, the ultimate, uh, gives you the ultimate power over the fear that you're feeling. But you'll never be capable unless you're willing to invest in training. Uh, and people don't want to do that. You know what people want? People want to be entertained. That's true. That people want true. to be entertained. They, they, they don't, they don't, they don't want to say, Hey, they don't want to hear this thing that says, Hey, uh, I put together a really challenging mission. My, I, I'm just using myself as an example. There's plenty of other people that you can choose to train with out there. I'm speaking for myself. The last four, the last, no, the last two years of my career as a SEAL, I was an instructor. I, I love to teach. I can put together really challenging missions that make people grow. Hey, I put together this really challenging mission. Um, it's on this date. It's going to cost you this much. Come show up. They don't want to hear that. 
They want to watch a freaking YouTube video that entertains them. They, they don't want to do it. They don't want to invest in themselves, and then they sit around and they're scared all their lives. I, I can't do nothing for you, man. Until you're willing to invest in yourself, everything takes an investment. You ain't getting nothing for free. But people don't want to do it. No, that's true. I, I mean, I'm talking about the large majority. I've trained hundreds of people that do want to do it. I'm, I, I, I'm not, I'm not giving a blanket statement here, okay? But the major, I'm talking about the majority of humans. Man, I spent my, I invested my entire adult life in training. You, you. Why am I so passionate about this? From the time I was 18 to the time I was uh, 30. I invested my entire life into becoming a capable operator, like human being. I, you know, you can't, you can't invest a weekend? Well, all right then. Most people won't. Most people never will. Yeah. That's, that's the hardest part. To, I think it's one of those things. Uh, I use this reference a lot, but I'm a, I'm a fan of Tim Grover's book, Winning. And sometimes someone just needs that first win in life. I mean, that could be finishing your first 5K. Yeah. could be graduating high school. And you get like that first taste of a win where it proves to yourself that you can actually, oh, I can do something. And then what happens next for most people is they want to chase that next win. That next win requires a larger sacrifice. But when you get that second win, it builds more confidence. Mm -hmm. When you trained for a decade plus of your life, you've failed a lot of times, but you've also won a lot of times. You've sacrificed a lot to keep winning. But when you bank up a couple hundred wins, your confidence is massive. But you have to get that first win and the second win and the third win. So going into it with the expectation of, I have to be willing and able to sacrifice time, money, energy, resources through investment. But through that process, I'm going to build some epic confidence. By the way, you're exactly right. And I still do this. Like I have a, I have a buddy of mine. He was a, he was a, a green beret. I still like my training is never complete. Neither is yours. Like I'm not, I practice what I preach. I'm not telling this to you guys while I'm sitting over here on my freaking butt. Like I got a buddy that was a former green beret. I pay him to train me on the range. Like I I do this. Like it never ends. It never ends. Like, I don't care how good you are. You should still be investing in, in, in training with someone who can, you know, give you just a little more or show you a different perspective. You know, I, I don't mind it. I mean, I don't mind at all spending my money on that. I mean, that that's, that's, that's how it works. So yeah, man. Well, Chad, man, I appreciate you. Like I said, you're one of those people I like following because everything you put out there, I mean, you, you practice what you preach. Patience, presence, being deliberate, the things you put out there through social media, through your words, through your actions, it is an example of that. And it's very refreshing. It's authentic. It's, I mean, like I said, you, you showed up here, you drove 13 hours. I see you running outside. I'm like, this guy is getting after it. It's, I mean, just if it's a warm up, just from driving 13 hours, 
that's the first time I've ever seen that from someone coming on this podcast. So it was, I respect that a lot. And, uh, you know, I know you, me and Steve Weatherford are getting some dinner tonight downtown Austin. I'm sure you'll log some miles, but I just want to say, I appreciate you, man, and what you're putting out there in the world. And it is the foundation of what people need to be listening to and instilling in your, in their lives. Cause it is powerful. It's life-changing. And I appreciate you. Brother, I thank you for sharing uh, this platform with me. I mean, what a special gift to be able to come and talk to uh, the people that follow you, which I believe are probably some really motivated, fired up people. Uh, and that's just such a blessing and such a gift. Um, you know, my ultimate goal for coming on these podcasts, if you've noticed, I mean, I don't have I don't have a book out. I don't have any, like, my ultimate goal is to come here and share something that will legitimately help some human being and for you to uh, give me this opportunity i wouldn't be able to do that without you inviting me here to do it so it's a special gift man and i want to leave all you guys listening with with this um with this uh i guess final thought uh, if we're getting ready to wrap up is um look man don't if if you just listen to all this and you're you're worried about uh we, you know, setting a standard for yourself and taking it to the next level, um, and, and holding yourself accountable and according to understand this, man, I miss the standard all the time. I do it all the time, right? If you don't miss the standard that you set for yourself, you didn't set your standard high enough. What do you do when you miss the standard? You learn from it. You, you do a little after actions report in your mind or with somebody you trust, you learn from it and you move forward and, and you, you try to maintain it better the next time you have the opportunity to. So don't get discouraged. Don't think that you're not, don't think that you're not capable of living the way we just talked about living. You're going to fail. You're going to screw up. That's where all the lessons are going to be. And there's really a single lesson in any accomplishments that I've made. The accomplishments build confidence, mm -hmm. just like you just said. The lessons come from the failures. Chad, I appreciate you, man. Thank you, brother. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Bear Performance Podcast. Please leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to if you enjoyed it. It helps us to grow and reach more people with the intent of changing lives through the Go One More mindset. If you are ready to take your health and performance to the next level, head over to bpnsubs.com to take the first step.